All right, Ephesians chapter 4, if you would turn there with me. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to begin this morning. When I was in college at Grace Bible Church, here was my, my home church as I was a student at Texas A&M University, graduating class of 87. All right. And I loved, I loved this church as a student, and after I graduated, I went to Dallas. And there's tons of churches in Dallas, right? There's churches everywhere in Dallas. And I thought, this will be really easy. I'll find a church exactly like Grace Bible Church, and I'll love my new church. And I didn't, right? I, I, I started shopping, and I went to different churches each week. And it was really frustrating. I didn't find a church... Uh, just like Grace. And in fact, as I went to different churches kind of week after week, uh, I discovered no one was initiating with me. And it was really frustrating. And I was at one particular church for a couple weeks, and I remember as I was driving back on a Sunday, I was thinking to myself, if, and I was really getting cranky, right? I mean, as I was driving, I was getting more, I mean, it's perfect attitude, right, to go to church. I'm like, if no one initiates with me this week, I'm out. Right, I'm just, I've, I've had it, I've done, I've tried long enough, right? So I'm just, my frustration's growing even as I'm walking in the door. So sure enough, I sit down, goes through the entire worship service, no one initiated with me. And so I walked out, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm never going back there. I mean, I'm just ah, frustrated in my mind. And like a voice came out of heaven. Not literally, but almost, almost that powerful. Brian, who did you initiate with this morning? Oh, oh man. It's like... I mean, I really, I heard, I heard God speak. It's really, really clear. I was like, ouch, uh, no one. So I was super convicted, right? Super convicted. So I decided, I'm going to go back to that same church next week. And I did. And I decided, I'm going to initiate. And I began to initiate, initiating conversations. And people began to respond. And I began to build friendships. And I found a place to serve. And I ended up saying, you know, this is going to be my home church. It was not uh, where I expected to be, and there were people who were very, very different from me, but I ended up staying there my entire four years and, and had just in this incredibly rich church experience. But as I, as I look back on my first several weeks when I was church shopping, I think I don't want anyone to ever have that experience at Grace Bible Church. Right? I, I want us to be just so warm and so welcoming, and people walk in and others initiate with them constantly. Why? Because we were made for relationships. Right? That's what this whole series is about. We, we were designed for relationship, and, and life just doesn't really work properly if we're not in deep and abiding relationships with others. Now, you guys know that I love data, because uh, sometimes like data is almost as good as a verse, right, to prove a point. Just kidding. Um, but somebody sent me some interesting data this week related to uh, this topic. Did you know there are actually scores of studies that prove the people with strong relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely than those without strong relationships. That's significant. College students. College students with strong relationships are half as likely to catch a common cold than students without strong relationships. That's interesting, isn't it? Doubling your group of friends has the same effect on your sense of well-being as increasing your income by 50%. Some of you are saying, nah, no way, <laughs> right? Lack of strong relationships has been directly correlated to increased blood pressure, depression, and obesity. In other words, strong relationships are required not only for healthy living emotionally, but also physically even, right? We were made for relationships because we were made in the image of God, and our God is a relational God. So life just doesn't work right without great relationships. What's the problem? All of our relationships are broken at some level. 
right? None, none of them, even the closest of relationships, don't work perfectly. Why? Because you're a sinner. And the person you're in relationship with is a sinner. And you're selfish, and they're selfish, right? And so whether it's just interpersonal or inside the family or in a community or nation against nation, right? Relationships are broken. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile us to God so that we could be reconciled to one another. So that we could experience something inside this community of reconciliation that you cannot literally experience anywhere else outside of the church. Jesus put it like this as he was praying to his father. He said, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. That's that's an amazing statement. He said, I want them to be one, even as we are one. And Jesus said, I'm not praying just for these 11 who are sitting in front of me right now, but for everyone who will hear the gospel through them, that is, through the generations, all of us, that we would be one, even as Father, Son, and Spirit are one, right? that we would experience the perfection of the relationship that existed within the Trinity for all of eternity. That's what God has designed for us. And it can only happen inside the church. So what is the church, right? Uh, Well, simplest terms, we are the church, right? We we are the church. Uh, Let me give you a real easy definition. It says, we are God's family. United together by the Holy Spirit through the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Real simple definition. We are God's family, right? We are the church. So I want you to read with me in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4. And I want you to remember that good Bible study methods, one of the keys is look for what's repeated. And I want you to tell me what's repeated after we read verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. What's repeated? It's really easy. I wanted to warm you guys up because I'm probably asking more questions in a minute. Just one, right? We are one. Whether we feel like we're one, whether we behave like we're one, we are one. So, right, let's go all the way back to Sunday school. You know I like the visual. I like our visual that we learned when we were little kids in Sunday school, right? You put your hands together, right? Because we learned this. We learned this truth in Sunday school, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Right? You remember that? Remember we, we've used this before, right? And we said that this visual is heresy, right? It's heresy. This is heresy. I mean, God bless and rest the souls of our dearly departed Sunday school teachers who taught us heresy, but it's heresy, right? Because it's not, this isn't the church. Here is the building. It might have a steeple. Open the doors and see the church right? We are the church, right? And now watch the church go and take the love of Jesus to all their friends and family and neighbor, right? And then watch the church gather again and worship their risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and be equipped to go impact the world. And they gather and they scatter and they gather and they scatter, but we are the church. So even though we don't behave like the church sometimes, we don't behave unified, we don't behave like one, or we don't feel like we're one, we are one. So What is it that brings us together? I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning. This is what brings us together. First, we are unified through our equality. We're unified through our equality. Actually, the story starts bad. Uh, It starts in Romans chapter 3. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unified in our brokenness. The cross is the great 
leveler. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, man or woman, uh, black or white, rich or poor, tall or short. It doesn't matter. You're leveled at the foot of the cross. Because the standard is the glory of God, which is Paul's shorthand for saying the perfection of God's nature and attributes. All that God is, all that God does is perfect. That is his glory. And all of us fall completely short, right? No one, man, woman, child, can, we can't raise our head at the cross. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The cross levels us, but the cross also lifts us. Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul says this, you all become united together by faith in Christ. That is, you're baptized into Christ. That is, the Holy Spirit identifies you with Jesus Christ. Having been identified with Christ, you're identified with one another. And so there really is not a distinction now between Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, right? He, he makes uh, three comparisons. First of all, uh, these racial distinctions are not significant compared to your identity in Christ any longer. And I want you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul says, now remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Who is Paul talking about? Paul's writing to the Ephesian audience who are almost all not Jewish. He's saying, you guys who were not Jews, you were out, you were separated, you didn't even know, you hadn't heard of the one true God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by it, having put to death the enmity. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to feel like we're the only generation or the only nation that has experienced racism. But, you know, racism has, has always existed among people. And it still exists. It exists in Africa, and it exists in Asia, and it exists in Latin America, and it exists in, in the United States. It existed uh, back in Jesus' day. For the Jews, in their mindset, there, there was us and them. Right? They categorized the entire world even though they were a small population, as Jews and non-Jews. And there was a barrier of separation between Jews and non-Jews. In fact, literally, in the temple area that Jesus walked through, there was a, a barrier, a wall, a stone wall erected between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And, and there's an inscription, we still have it to this day, that has said, essentially, if you are not a Jew and you cross this barrier, we will kill you. Right? You can't get any closer to God. Now Paul's drawing on that visual and he said, when Jesus Christ died and he was buried and he rose from the dead, he destroyed that wall. Right? He completely destroyed that wall, that barrier between people so that he could make humanity into one new man. Now, 
I had a, a friend this week ask me, he said, what do you, like, when you think about something, what do you get, like, really excited talking about? And I said, this is, I get excited about this. Because this is the theme of the Bible, so to speak, right? Genesis chapter 12, God came to, came to Abram and he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And as I bless you, you're going to become a blessing to all of the nations. In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed, right? Because I'm going to give you a land, but I'm going to give you a seed. And from your seed is going to come one who will, who will reconcile all people to me, right? That is God's plan. To destroy all of those divisions and to reconcile everyone to God through Jesus Christ and then to one another through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus came, part of the, the, the effect of the death and burial and resurrection of God's Son was to begin to destroy those barriers so that in the body of Christ we could begin to experience this reconciliation among all people. So that by the time we arrive in Revelation and the story is beginning to wrap up, so to speak, of human history, we see men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation bowing before the throne and it literally gives me chills. Even as I think, I think that's, that's where we're going, people. And that can only be brought about through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about it more when we talk about how we connect with our neighbors, because I like talking about that, right? It's just, it's such a beautiful theme. And only the power of the gospel can accomplish it. So Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. Right? Your social status doesn't matter within the church. And in fact, in the early church, there were, there were uh, men who were slaves who served as elders and deacons alongside of those who were free, rich and poor. That's why James gets so frustrated when he says, if a man comes into your assembly and he's got a gold ring and he's got a nice robe and you say, hey, sit in this really prominent place. And then a poor man comes in and you go, sit right there. Sit, sit at my feet or sit over in the corner, right? He said, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Don't you realize God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised those who loved him? Right? But you're dishonoring the poor man for whom Christ died. He said, that's not the way the church should work at all. Right? That distinction doesn't matter any longer. And then he goes on, he says, there's neither male nor female. Who is more in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, men or women? Be careful, <laughs> right? I mean, don't just blurt something out. If, you know, if you're one of those low filter kind of people, and if you're a husband, don't even think anything right now because your wife knows what you're thinking, right? Because the right answer is all the same, right? All the same, all equally broken, all equally loved and worthy in God's mind of the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that uh, race or social status or gender are meaningless? No. It's not that they're meaningless. It's that, that we are all equally broken and in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 28. And we can only experience that unification when we're unified in Jesus Christ. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 12, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, God takes you out of death and puts you into life. He takes you out of death and he puts you into Christ. And if he puts you into Christ, you are in Christ with one another. Now, you don't earn that change in status. It's just a free gift. 
And I would encourage you, if you've never had that moment where you say, God, I recognize that I'm actually separated from you. I don't have a personal relationship with you. And I can't fix it. But Jesus has fixed it. That this morning, it would be your morning, you say, God, thank you. Thank you for removing my debt of sin so that I could be reconciled to you through Christ. Now, when you make that decision, God reconciles you to God. He also puts you into this family. Whether you understand it or feel it or know it or behave like it or experiencing it, experience it, you are actually one with the body of Christ. Right? We are one. We are unified. Now, why do we see then so much division in the world? Obviously, the easy answer is sin, right? But I, I mean, I would say uh, more significantly, it's because people choose to unify with one another around much less significant things than Jesus, right? This, let, me, let me illustrate what I mean. Uh, college students uh, love to join clubs. College students love to create clubs and organizations. In fact, I looked up just yesterday, uh, a now has over a thousand Student groups, recognized student groups. That doesn't include the non-recognized student groups, right? So a thousand recognized student groups at Texas A&M University. And our population is, what, 66,000, something like that? So that's a group for every 66 students. They have a discrete, <laughs> discrete group. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, right? But it's not just A&M. Uh, this is all college campuses. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. University of Kentucky has a rock, paper, scissors club. <laughs> Seriously. Kentucky, whatever. Uh, University of Pennsylvania has a Bigfoot club. Berkeley has Students Against Hippies and Trees club, which or I'm like, you know, I would have thought they'd have like a Students for Hippies and Trees club, right? Students Against Hippies and Trees club, that's like two students on campus. They're like, oh, down with the rest of you, right? I mean, they're pro-hippie. I'm just, I'm just making fun. Okay, so we like to gather, we connect, we identify, but we identify and unify over less than significant things. Now, as we get older, we leave college and we identify in more significant ways, often through our vocation, right? Join the National Accountant Society, right? I mean, that's a crazy group. Or you identify with political party. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Or you identify with your nationality. I'm Korean. I'm Nigerian. I'm Mexican. I'm American. And maybe you noticed I moved from silly to serious. Because I wanted to kind of move into your soul and squeeze a little bit. Because some of us hold really, really dearly things that are not nearly as significant as Jesus Christ. Okay? Your nationality, your race, your politics are not nearly as significant as your identity in Jesus Christ. We don't actually put a U.S. flag on the stage. You know why? Because the U.S. flag bows before the church, right? There's nothing more important than your li- in your life than your identity in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying those other things are irrelevant. I'm saying they're not as important and they're not nearly as important. But when we all put Jesus Christ as the absolute most important identifier in our lives, then we come together in Christ, see? That's what gives us unity. Second, we're unified also through our diversity, Unity in Christ does not mean identity. We are not all made exactly the same, right? It's not uniformity. It's a unity that actually celebrates all of the beauty of the, of the, the differences between us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. I'm going to read kind of a, a lengthy section here. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Right? So our unity in our diversity is a reflection of the Godhead. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and on our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, and that the members have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Let me make two observations. First is this. Uh, We are all necessary. The body doesn't function as it should function if you are not deeply engaged. You are necessary. He says, look, the hand can't say, because I'm not a foot, I'm not part of the body. You are. You are part of the body. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you engage or not, you are. And if you don't engage, the body actually suffers. Now, I, I'm a, I like I make, like making puzzles, so particularly like Thanksgiving, Christmas. When I was a kid, we'd always bring out a puzzle, and we'd just kind of work on it through the week while we are on vacation. I hadn't done a puzzle in years, and I, I told uh, my wife, I said, I want to do a puzzle again. I haven't done a puzzle in a long time. So she went out and bought me this really awesome puzzle, and I laid it out on our coffee table. And, you know, I just zone out. I just, I'm just thinking puzzle. I understand how you do puzzles, right? You find the corner pieces and the edges, so you, I've got all those set, and I'm working my way inward. And as I got really close to the end of my puzzle, and periodically there were other people helping me with my puzzle. My puzzle, right? But they're touching my puzzle, and I'm looking at my puzzle. It's progressing. I'm like, oh no, I have this really, really horrible feeling that not all of the pieces are here for my puzzle. And I swear to you, it was proverbial. I got to the very end of my puzzle, and I was missing one piece. I was just missing one piece. I'm like, take it away, right? It's just, you know, it's worthless puzzle, because that one piece is missing, right? And I'm literally, I literally, I'm down on my hands and my knees, and crawling around our living room, and I'm moving the couch, and I'm lifting the coffee table, searching for that one piece to complete my puzzle, right? You're that piece, right? If you are not present, the body suffers. You are necessary. God made you as an integral part of this whole. So you need to discover how God has made you because you're unique and you're special and you have a contribution. Now, second observation is this. We are all deficient. God made you with holes that other people fill. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. 
because you do. We need one another. Now, this is probably going to shock all of you, but I haven't always gotten along perfectly with everyone I've worked with. (laughs) Stunning. I know. Um, Shocks even me that everyone wouldn't love working with me at all times. But it's, it's true. It's happened. And uh, I've got one friend that we, we were friends uh, for years and working together. And um, we didn't always get along because we're very different. Uh, outside, great friendship. But sometimes at work, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of oil and water, right? Kind of frustrating one another. He frustrated me. I frustrated him because, like, I love big picture and I love to dream. And he's thinking about the details. And he's very meticulous. And he's thinking, how, you know, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Right? And I'm like, I oh, don't even worry about that. Yeah, let's just think about it and dream, right? Right? And so we, we would frustrate one another. And I don't know how it happened, but over a period of time, we actually learned not just to tolerate one another, but to value each other. Right? He learned that he needed me to dream, and I learned I needed him to know if it would actually work. Right? We learned to. Again, not just tolerate, but value the fact that God had made us very different. You are necessary, but you are also deficient. God puts people around you on purpose that are very different from you. Now, a third observation is this. Not everyone gets to serve in each and every role. Why? Because God says his spirit chooses the talents and gifts and skills and ability and sphere of influence that he gives to people, right? You were made for something, but you weren't made for everything, right? You weren't. Now, that is a bit of a, you know, that's a countercultural idea. I remember even as a kid, uh, I'd had teachers and coaches and other folks say, hey, Brian, you know, you just put your mind to it. You can be anything you want to be. <laughs> that's just, that is not true. But that's just not true, right? So if you're still believing that, you need to imagine his knuckles and his feet are just dragging along as he's trying to ride that horse. Oh, right, he can't, he can't do that. Rudy, remember the movie Rudy? Anybody? Rudy. If you Kids, if you're younger, you haven't seen Rudy, go watch Rudy for an example of how you shouldn't live your life, right? Rudy should have played intramurals, right? Rudy should have gotten off the field. Now, the irony is because Rudy played for Notre Dame and he, like three minutes, right? He got on the field for like three minutes playing for Notre Dame after four years of being on the, the hit squad and just getting pounded, right? Three minutes he gets, gets on. So he developed this career as a motivational speaker telling the world that they could be anything they wanted to be, which is a lie, right? I'm like, this, how tragic is that? Rudy, intramurals, find your, find your lane, buddy. Right? You're not made for everything. You're not. I'm not made for everything. So the beauty is finding how God has made you. Now, as you begin to experience new things, new gifts and talents and skills do open up, and new abilities within your lane open up, but you're not made for everything, right? You're not made for everything also because God has decided how he's going to organize his family. And not every role fits for every person. This may shock you to know also, but uh, our very own Matt Morton is, uh, is a ballerina, Matt Morton is a ballerina. You think, you think I lie. I'm not lying. Matt Morton actually had a role last year in uh, the Nutcracker. Matt was in the Nutcracker. And yes, I mean, when he told me I did, I mocked him mercilessly. Uh, but Matt, Matt was not the sugar plum fairy. Okay, just, uh, Matt was not the sugar plum fairy. And there's a real simple reason. That role was reserved for a young woman with talent. Right? So, and that's not Matt, right? He's not a young woman and he, he doesn't have any talent at all. Now, he had a, he had a role, right? He was on stage. He was, a, he was a character and he was needed, but he was not qualified for the Sugar Plum Fairy. Now, there, there are roles in the church 
that fit for you and don't fit for you. Let me illustrate. Titus chapter 1, Paul says this to Titus. Says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, that should make you pause for a moment and say, wait a second. If Galatians 3 verse 28 says, in Christ there's neither male nor female, why do we say that only these qualified men can serve in the role of elder? Now, I'm going to admit to you, I don't know the entirety of the reason why God has set his family in order in this way, but I can tell you this. Our, remember, our relationships in the body of Christ are designed to reflect the relationships in the Trinity. Right? We're framing this entire series in terms of relationships with the, within the Trinity, which is that's the ideal relationship, and our relationship should reflect that. And so within the Trinity, what do you see? Well, you see equality, but you also see some level of hierarchy, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, which is more God? None, right? Father is equally God with the Son, and the Son is equally God with the Spirit. They are all equally God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Right? They are co-equal, co-eternal God. Not gods, three persons, one God, all equal. But Paul will also go on in Philippians 2 and he'll say, the Son of God, even though he existed from all, for all eternity in the exact form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form actually not just of humanity, but of a slave. Right? Humbling himself even to the point of death. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he would say, I do nothing on my own initiative. Nothing. I only do what the Father tells me to do. What he tells me to speak, who he tells me to heal, where he tells me to go, that's all that I do. And when he got to that critical moment, he's about to go to the cross, what Jesus wanted to do in his humanity was avoid the cross. But instead, what did he do? He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted himself to the will of the Father. The same is said of the Spirit. Jesus said, what the Spirit does is the Spirit takes what the Father has given to me and then he gives it to you. And so the Spirit doesn't glorify himself. The Spirit glorifies the Son so the Son can glorify the Father. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, we're told that once Jesus has subjected all of his enemies, right, the kingdom is established, then he's going to take that rule and reign and authority and he's going to deliver it up to his Father and he's going to submit himself to the Father, right? So, Submission, in biblical terms, is not a statement of inferiority. And submission is always voluntary in biblical terms, right? Jesus chose to submit his will. And so when we serve and when we submit in the body of Christ, we are reflecting the way that Christ loved his Father, right? The way that Christ loved his Father. Now, the reason that I I wanted to just stop and and talk about this for a minute is because uh, gender and gender roles is such a critical topic in our culture today, right? And so our elders, literally for the last uh, couple of years, they've been studying every passage that's related to this because we want to be thoroughly biblical, right? Not driven by culture, but thoroughly biblical in our understanding and our approach to how genders function together in the body of Christ. And so uh, we actually came up with a position paper on this. A lot of churches have these. We have a position paper on roles of men and women in ministry. You can find it on our website. Um, I've actually done several sermons on this through the years, so I'm not going to get into tons of detail today, but if you want to go back and listen, I've got a sermon on 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that gets into the details of the text. But what I want to do for you this morning is just kind of summarize 
where we are and how we understand this as a church. In a sentence, we are a complementarian church. Okay? Complementarian. So if you've ever read any of the literature on this debate and discussion, there are kind of uh, two camps. There's egalitarian and complementarian. We're complementarian. Egalitarian means that within the church, there are no uh, gender distinctions in terms of roles whatsoever, right? So that makes it really easy. Anybody can do anything. Right? We're complementarian, which means the following. It means, first, we believe both genders are equal in Christ. That's Galatians 3.28. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, right? We all come equally leveled before the cross. We, we believe the same way. We are rescued from sin the same way. We're all equally broken, equally saved, exactly the same way. Equally valued by God. Second, we believe that both genders are not identical but complementary to one another, right? So the genders are not identical, but God made them intentionally to be complementary to one another. So specifically, uh, in the home and in the church, there are different roles. And what the Bible prescribes doesn't actually extend into the business world or education world uh, or government. What God governs is the church and the, and the home. And he says, within church and home, the roles are complementary. So specifically, that means we believe God reserved the role of elder pastor for qualified men. Now, I say elder pastor because in the early church, there wasn't a distinction. The elders were pastor teachers, and the pastor teachers were elders responsible for the direction and the doctrine of the church. And as the highest authority in the church, the elders could delegate responsibilities to others as they did in Acts chapter 6, right? They created ministers, servants to go do other things, but they were responsible for the spiritual health of the church. Now, when the church gathered for worship, Paul gave this instruction. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And in our modern culture, that is a really, really unpopular verse. And I would say also misunderstood. Why was Adam created first? I don't know. I don't know why he was created first, but he was. And because he was created first, he had additional responsibility for his family. Right? Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Go ahead. You can say it. Eve did. That's right. Eve did, right? Because Eve was deceived. She took the fruit. She ate. Then she gave it to Adam. He ate. And why are we born in sin? Because of the sin of Adam or Eve? Adam. Even though Eve sinned first. Why? Because Adam was responsible. Right? Adam did not step up. And Adam was the head of his home. He was responsible. So Romans chapter 5, Paul says, we're, we're dead in Adam. Because Adam was created first. He is responsible. And that created order is to be reflected in the home and it's to be reflected in the church. Now, does that mean that men are better teachers than women? Nope. Uh, does it mean the women never should speak at all? No, I mean, my house would be boring. Right? I mean, my wife is a much more interesting person than I am. This is talking about when the church is gathered to worship together. When the church is gathered to worship together, there are elder pastor teachers who are responsible for the direction and doctrine of the church. But the women did participate vitally in the life of the church. Right? Women were gifted to teach. Right? The spiritual gift of teaching is given to men and it is given to women. So women taught one another. They discipled one another. We have at least one illustration of a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, instructing Apollos, who was arguably the greatest preacher of the day, but he needed better theology. So this couple, who'd both been instructed by Paul, taught him. Right? So women were teachers. They were gifted teachers, 
Again, what Paul's referring to is when the church is gathered together in a moment like this for corporate worship. Uh, Women also participated in the corporate worship setting, visibly and verbally. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says, When a woman prays or prophesies, I want her to prophesy like this, not like that. Right? I want her to do it uh, with, with a symbol of authority. Right? So she demonstrates she's submissive to the authority of the church, which is the elders. But Paul assumes and expects that women would pray and prophesy, that they would uh, share, as everyone would, a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song in the gathered worship. So, you know, for historically, what we've done is we've invited women to, to you know, read a scripture or uh, to pray or to share in leading a song. Right? We, we want that participation as a model for men and women of all of us worshiping together. But we feel like where the Bible has drawn a line is, and it's the singular line, is that elder pastor teacher is a responsibility of godly men. Why? We think because it's a reflection of the Godhead. Father, Son, Spirit, all equal, but Son submitting to the Father and Spirit serving the Son and the Father. So what does that mean uh, practically for us? Well, as our elders were studying this whole, uh, this whole uh, challenging text and, and looking through absolutely every one of them, one of the things that we realized is we want to be uh, as open and inclusive as we possibly can, right? We want to invite people in to participate everywhere that the Bible would, right? We don't want to draw lines that the Bible doesn't draw because that's legalism, right? So in addition to singing or praying or sharing a scripture. We want to invite the women on a Sunday morning. Some of the other activities are uh, preparing communion and serving communion and collecting an offering and uh, husbands and wives, dads and moms sharing the baptism moment of their children, right? And so that that will look a little bit different, but I I want to tell you, I feel like that that's a really thoroughly biblical stand. I, I, I don't want to ever be challenged and say, I can't point to chapter and verse, right, for the decisions that we make. So if you have any questions about this, uh, talk to Zach. <laughs> now, if you have any questions about it, please come talk to me, or you can talk to Zach or Buck or one of our, our elders or any of our staff. Um, we're happy to talk to you. We've got, like I said, a position paper on this. Uh, and having put our position paper out there, uh, my word of exhortation to you would be this, uh, charity. Right? Charity. This is actually not a gospel-level issue, right? There are, there are godly people who will not agree with us, and that's okay. There are godly churches that have a different position. We're, we're kind of in the middle of the road on this, but there are people on, on either side who, who, who don't agree. That's okay. Right? Godly people, godly churches disagree on this. This is not a gospel-level issue. On the other hand, when we disparage other believers for non-gospel-level issues, that doesn't really beautify the church. Right? So let's be really careful. that we, we hold our convictions tightly, but we hold them with kindness and grace. Because... Third point, we are unified through our sacrificial love. What sets us apart? Our doctrinal positions? Well, to anybody outside the church, no. They don't know our doctrinal positions. They don't really care about our doctrinal positions. What do they see? They see the way that we love each other or don't love each other. So, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you have learned from me, that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Is your holiness important? Yes. Is your doctrine important? Yes. What does the world see? They see your love. What does that look like practically? Just a couple chapters later, Jesus says, 
Here's my commandment. Let me boil it down to you. Let me make it really simple. You disciples, you 11, you're really frazzled right now and you're not really remembering much. So let me remind you, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I want you to love the way that I've loved you. And how have I loved you? I gave up the greatest experience in the universe. The intimacy of father, son, and spirit. No greater relationship ever existed, and yet Father, Son, and Spirit were willing to allow that to be fractured so that we could be reconciled to God. That's what happened on the cross when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There there was a rupture in the intimacy that Father, Son, and Spirit had known for all of eternity. So it wasn't just the, the physical suffering and laying down his life. The great sacrifice that Jesus made and the Father made and the Spirit made was this spiritual, relational separation that they'd never known, ever, for all of eternity. Jesus said, that's how I want you to love each other. Now, you may not be called upon, literally, to die for anyone sitting in this room. But would you be willing to die daily? Just little acts of saying no to yourself. And not just the things you want, but even saying no to yourself in terms of the things that you need. Later in John's epistle, he wrote this. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says, love is active. And I don't want to just hear about your love. Don't just say you love. But if you see a brother or a sister in Christ, one that you're unified with, in need, and you harden your heart, then you don't really understand what love is. Right? You don't, and you don't know the love of God. You're not, you're not really living it out. To, to love God and to love others means that you serve and you sacrifice and you give whatever it is that you have. And, you know, it may be, maybe your money, but more likely, more frequently, it's going to be your time, which is really precious. Maybe a skill or a talent you have. I actually knew an accountant. Remember that while in Crazy Group, I knew an accountant who gave her time during tax season when she was most busy to help people who really couldn't understand their taxes just to fill those out, right? It may be a skill. It's, it's whatever you have, right? And you, ha- you have this web of relationships and this set of skills and talents and passions. God says, I want you to use all of that to love each other. And then the world looks in and they say, I don't really understand your doctrine yet, but I want to be a part of that, right? I want to be loved like that, because I've never been loved like that. Right? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. So, how do we apply this? Well, this is really kind of an easy week for application. Okay? Get connected with one another. Serve alongside one another. Get connected and serve. You, you need relationships in the body of Christ. You're not designed to go it alone. And you need to learn how to serve one another. Right? So, a couple real simple uh, places to go on our website. You can join a group at grace-bible.org. Uh, we have groups that meet all different times of the week and morning and evening. And we've got groups for uh, people, uh, men's groups, women's groups, couples groups. Um, there, there's just anything you can imagine. Uh, you can get online and you can find something. Or you may have an opportunity to connect uh, through, you know, like a, a dorm community or a dorm Bible study or one of the, you know, a thousand clubs that you've joined, students or whatever. But just find a place to plug in with the body of Christ. 
so that you're encouraging and challenging and studying the word together and praying for one another. Uh, You need this. Uh, If you would like to connect more broadly with this church, we have our membership class, Discover Membership, next Sunday, December, uh, January 26th. It's meeting Anderson Fireside Room, so if you walk straight back that direction through the glass doors, 9.15 to 12.15. I think the child care is closed, but if you can't come any other way, just call the office and call Grace Mears. Grace, wave, right, okay, that was too short a wave. Okay. If, if you can't come any other way, we'll, we'll try to figure out a way to, to get you here. If, um, if it's just a child care, that's the issue, right? Is that fair? Can I say that? Okay. Just committed to you. <laughs> um, second, serve alongside one another. I did, actually didn't have a slide for this, so I just did a screenshot. But look at how these people are happy, right? Because they're serving. Because <laughs> they're serving alongside one another. If you scroll down this page, there is a tab. You can take a spiritual gifts test that uh, we use. I've taken many of those. They're really helpful to discover the things that you're passionate about and gifted toward. But you can also discover those without taking that test. You can just think about the things you love to do, or you may see something happening around here and say, you know, I really love working with kids. Again, talk to Grace. You can work in our children's ministry. You can work with our youth. Uh, You can work uh, in college. You can work with uh, sound. Glenn is in the back running sound. And Glenn is, a, is an orchestra director for the school district, but he also has some skill there. And Glenn can help teach you how to run sound. You may have some uh, musical ability or vocal ability. Um, you might want to say, I want to be one of those people who greets as people come in. Because I, I love people, right? And I just want to bring them in. You know, man, we need folks to do that. So anything that you can imagine. Uh, you notice we still uh, print paper bulletins. So as you came in, like, I... I hate paper. I mean, literally, don't hand me paper. Give it to me digitally. I throw it away. But people, some people like paper. Uh, some people are in the dark ages. It's fine. And, and on that little paper thing that you received, there's a whole list of fresh opportunities. Uh, we've got a couple missions trips that are going out of this campus, El Salvador. The Berkeys are leading a trip to El Salvador. I went on that trip a couple years ago. It was awesome. And developed friendships that have continued for the last couple of years out of that opportunity. So I, I would just say this to you. If you're new to grace, don't be passive. Okay, don't sit back like I did when I moved to Dallas and just wait for people to initiate with you, you know, because it may not happen. You might get crabby and grumpy like I did. So just take the initiative, right? Get after it. Uh, if you've been around grace for a while, Get out of your pew and start initiating. Find people. If you see them and they look like they don't know where they're going, they look like they're new, you've never met them before. They may have been here three years, but there are enough people, right, that you, 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 don't, you don't know, or maybe you've met them three times. It's better to reintroduce yourself the third time than to not reach out and initiate. I would love it if everybody who walks in here gets invited to like 12 opportunities to connect in the body of Christ, right? And you can do this. Right, you remember, I, I am I am a, an introvert by my my nature, the personality God gave me. But I have learned to love initiating because I love people's stories, and I love to help people get connected in the body of Christ. So, all of us, if we're all doing that, think about how that transforms the entire culture to make us more reflective of the way that Jesus initiated with us. True, yeah. So uh, next week. Chris White, who is one of our elders at the Southwood campus, is going to be talking about how do you connect at work. And this is what Chris does, in a sense, for his career. He coaches people and organizations on how to really connect well and work well uh, as teams. So that's going to be really interesting. I won't be here because I'm going to be actually at Central Baptist Church. If you're, I'm not preaching at Central. 
I wish I were. That'd be fun. I'm not. Um, Chris Osborne, who was pastor at Central for 33 years, is retiring, and I got invited to come and be a part of that celebration. So if you want to know one of the other things I get like super excited thinking about, talking about, and doing, it's helping to create that unity in the body of Christ because, you know, believe it or not, we're not the only church in town, right? And when we can um, reach out and create those connections, I think that's really good for the witness of Christ in the community. So that's where I'm going to be next week. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have uh, you've made us one in Christ. I thank you that you've reconciled us to you, and because we're reconciled to you, those barriers at the dividing wall can fall down and be crushed, and we can reach out to people who are, who are unlike us. And we can create a unity here inside the, the church that's a reflection of Father, Son, and Spirit. It's, it's a unity, it's an, it's an intimacy that can't be found anywhere else. And I pray, Father, that you, you do that for us. I pray that you just beautify this body through our relationships and make our witness powerful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, as you are leaving, we will have some folks uh, up front here and also in the Welcome Center wearing a little tag. There's Carolyn Jones, some staff and volunteers. If you want to figure out how to connect.